My father was a Baptist preacher, so I'm a PK. Any other PKs here? I know we got some back there. Come on, raise your hand. There's three of them back there. And so I grew up in church. I listened to my, I was trying to count how many times I heard my father preach, and it was over 3,000 times because I was his worship leader for uh, over 18 years. We had three services on Sunday morning and one on Sunday night and Wednesday night prayer meeting. That means five times a week. And I would sit through the whole service as the worship leader to hear him and take notes and learn from him. The Lord's put on my heart today a message for you, and I don't, I'm not sure why he put this message on my heart. I've never preached this message before, um, so I'll probably stumble through it a little bit. But my father's my father died on July 20th, 2011. The seventh anniversary of his passing was Friday. So this week, I've been thinking about him and his legacy. I hope you spend time thinking about what legacy are you going to leave. My father was not a brilliant man. Um, he didn't like school, but when God called him to preach, he knew he needed to go to school. So he and my mom took my older brother in about 1950 and moved from the state of Washington all the way back to Tennessee so he could go to a Baptist school, Carson Newman College. And I was born while they were back there going to college. We came back when I was three to California in 1954 so he could go to Golden Gate Seminary, which is now Gateway Seminary right here in Ontario. I was a three-year-old in my mom's arms when we came to California so he could go to seminary. And now I sit on the board of Gateway Seminary. How strange is that? Uh, and work in the office there. My office, the foundation office, is in the Gateway Seminary building. Why do I tell you that? Because my ministry at the foundation is a ministry of helping people with their legacies. My favorite quote, now there's, I have a lot of them from the Bible, but I'm talking about a by a man is this. The righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that. Can you think about that? Another way of saying it, it's been translated because he was German. Every righteous man lives for the next generation. What are you doing to ensure the blessings of liberty to the future generations? What are you doing so that what you spend your time in today will outlive you? How are you pouring your life into the lives of others? That's what I've been thinking about this week. And so I got out my one of my dad's Bibles, and I want to use it today. And I want to talk to you about one of his favorite topics and one of the things he spent his life demonstrating. Can I do that? And I want you to know my father, while he wasn't the brightest, he wasn't the most important, he wasn't the most popular or the famous, the thing my dad was known for was prayer. He was a man of prayer. In fact, this Bible that I'm holding right now was given to him by Billy Graham in 1983 because my father was the chairman of the prayer committee for the Billy Graham Crusade in Sacramento in 1983. For a year before Billy Graham came, we met to pray for that crusade. We would get up early in the morning and pray. We'd pray at night. We'd start prayer meetings around the city. 
My father was a man of prayer. And so today I want to take you to a passage on prayer. Go to Luke chapter 11. Now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, Manny can get you one from the back. I'd like you to look at, not my words, but at Jesus' words about prayer. Luke chapter 11. Anybody need a Bible? Um, some of you are going on, on your phones and things. That's great. But I want to look at what Jesus had to say about prayer. And the title of my message is this. Now listen to this. Lord, teach us to pray. Would you say that? Lord, teach us to pray. And it comes from Luke chapter 11. Now, the Gospel of Luke was written by a doctor. You all know that Luke was a physician. And in the beginning of the book of Luke, he said that he hoped to write down, he wasn't the first Gospel, but he wanted to write things down as he had researched them in chronological order. He wanted to put them in a, in a systematic way for what he found out about Jesus. Now, he, Luke wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. Luke worked with Paul, the apostle, traveled with Paul, maybe because Paul needed a doctor. We don't know. But he knew Paul. He knew Peter. He knew the apostles. Luke did. And he talked to them. He probably talked to Mary, the mother of Jesus, to get the story right. And so when Luke wrote this down, he gave a lot of detail that the other Gospels don't give. But in this passage we're going to look at today, in fact, it's titled in my Bible, Jesus' Teachings are Teaching on Prayer. And it's interesting that Luke chose to put these teachings in one passage, verses uh, 1 through 13. Now we're going to read them all, and we're going to talk about them all, but I want us to focus on what Jesus said, not what I said. And you, you know something? I want each of you, as we look at this, if you're a follower of Jesus, to ask yourself, am I a person of prayer? Am I a person of prayer? Because prayer is something everyone can do. Everyone. From the youngest to the oldest, when you're no longer working, when you think there's no ministry left for you in the church or in the world, prayer is something you can do. And it's an important thing you can do. Notice chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, there's a whole lot in that one verse. Did you notice it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place? What does that tell us? It doesn't tell us the place. It doesn't tell us when, if it was it morning, noon, or night. It doesn't tell us anything. It just says, one day Jesus was praying. Now, it's interesting to me that this is Luke 11.1. 1. There's another 11.1 1 verse that I really like, and it's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, and it says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now listen. Follow my example, Paul said, as I follow the example of Christ. What we see in Luke 11.1 1 is Jesus living his faith in front of his disciples. How did he call his disciples? What did he say to them? Every one of them, follow me. And they left their fishing nets. He said, follow me to Matthew. And Matthew left what? Tax collecting. Follow me. He didn't say, okay, go to school. He didn't say, get a degree. He didn't say... Get your life in order and then come follow me. He said, 
follow me. And that's what Christianity is all about. It, Jesus takes you right where you are, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're good, whether you're still working things out in your life. Jesus said, just says, follow me. He says that I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you some into somebody of import in the kingdom. And so Jesus apparently didn't spend a lot of time teaching the disciples about prayer. You know what? Teaching about prayer is not nearly as important as practicing prayer. Doing it's a whole lot more important than talking about it. So Jesus just prayed. In fact, if you look in the Gospels, Mark 1.35, it says this, In the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went off to a quiet place and was praying there. In the morning, while it was still dark, he snuck away. And the disciples were looking for him. Where is he? And they found him praying in a quiet place by himself. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever sneak away to pray? Do people ever find you praying? If you're a follower of Christ, they should. In Luke, all through the Gospel of Luke, Prayer is important. In fact, I would challenge you to look through the Gospel of just Luke and focus on what does it say about prayer? In Luke 3, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 32, and then in chapter 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, and 46, it's all about prayer. Luke and Jesus knew how important prayer was. I can't go through all those with you, but look at this one in Luke 5.15. Luke 5.15. It says this about Jesus, Luke 5, 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Do you picture it? The news is spreading that Jesus can heal people, that he can do miracles. And everywhere he shows up, there's hundreds, thousands of people. Now, if, if you were Jesus and you were becoming that popular, how would you organize your life? Look at the next verse. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Did that give you a picture of Jesus? He was popular. He was, he was famous. He was drawing thousands of people. But Luke wanted us to know, yes, that's all true. But don't forget that Jesus knew how important it was to get into a quiet place and pray. Now, wait a minute. Why? Jesus is the Son of God. Why in the world does he need to pray? Jesus could do all these miracles. Why did he need to spend time with God? I'll tell you why. The Bible says Jesus was fully man and fully God in one place. Now, if he was fully man or woman like us, human, why do we need to pray? He needed to pray for the same reason, to overcome temptation, to pursue the Father's will, to stay in tune with the Spirit of God because the, the world will bury you in, in its chaos. I'm telling you, these are addictive. Television is addictive. Now, I'm talking about myself. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm pointing them at me. Because the, the easiest thing in the world is just to take this out and do messages, Facebook, play a game or whatever, or to turn the TV on and just become comatose. You know? It's like the, the older man that said to his wife, he was watching something on TV about, you know, how people get into a coma and they're dying and the fight to whether they should be unplugged or not. He said, he said to his wife, if I ever get in a comatose situation where I'm not worth anything, just unplug me. So she walked up and unplugged the TV. 
<laughs> Make sense? I want you to know that's all of us. We have to fight. We have to intentionally develop spiritual habits where we turn off the TV, we turn off the phone, we get away to a quiet place. At our house now, we went home, not just up on the hill up here, and my favorite thing about that house is the front porch. We're on the side of the hill, and the breeze comes through, even when it's warm. Beautiful breeze, and we got some rocking chairs. We got it low out there, plastic rocking chairs, and I love to sit out there. It's so quiet. It's so peaceful. It's much easier for me to sense God's presence and to hear his voice in a quiet place. Jesus did that. When everybody wanted his attention, he made sure he found time to pray. We need to pray. Jesus prayed. You know, we talk about the Word of God, and thank you for coming to church to hear the Word of God. That's important. That, that fills our head. We talk about the work of God. Now go out and serve people this week. Come to buy, do, do, do the work of the church. We talk about the head and the hands. But do you realize the heart of a Christian is filled with the Spirit through the power of prayer, spending time with God. Jesus knew that. Even Jesus, as the Son of God, he knew that if he didn't take time for prayer, he wouldn't be ready for the challenges of the day. He wouldn't hear God's little voice through the day. He wouldn't overcome temptation, and so he prayed. But he didn't just teach him, he showed him. I would challenge you to pray, but to be discovered praying by your children, by your grandchildren. Get away and pray. Jesus did. The story is told, and I'm assuming it's true. I tried to verify it, and I really couldn't find it, but I've heard it more than once of Billy Graham in the earlier days of his ministry. There was a call to his office from President Eisenhower, and they said the president would like to speak with Dr. Graham. And Billy Graham's secretary said, well, he's not available right now. And they said, this is the president of the United States. He said, well, you'll have to call back. He'll be, he'll be available in about an hour. Well, in an hour, the president calls back and said, Billy, when I call you, I need to talk to you. What, what was so important that you didn't have time to talk to me? And Billy said, I was praying. And I don't allow any interruptions when I'm praying. Are we that serious about prayer? Do people catch us? Praying. Jesus, it says, was praying and his disciples saw him. Then it says this When he finished, one of his disciples said to him. Now we don't know which disciple. You know, a lot of other times it says Peter said this, Philip said that, doubting Thomas, you know. But it doesn't say which one. I wonder which one. Maybe as they're watching, can you imagine them as they follow him around and they see what he's doing and, and they see all the miracles he does and they see the amazing teaching he, he does? Do you realize this is the only time in, in the Gospels that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something? They didn't say, teach us to do miracles. They didn't say, teach us to preach like you do. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? I think they saw that the power came from the time he spent in prayer. Are you with me? They asked Jesus to teach us to pray. That's the title of my message today. Lord, 
teach us to pray. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? How many of you would like to have been there when Jesus was praying and just asked Jesus to teach you to pray? Man, if I could go back in time, you know, they, they ever get that time machine they always talk about, this is where I want to go. I mean, it's so far above. I want to go back to see Jesus. I want to see him teaching. I want to see him doing the miracles, don't you? I'd love to be there and even see his resurrection. Well, I don't think they're ever going to get that time machine. All we've got is the Bible and the story of the people who saw it, the witnesses who saw it. And those men that knew him the best, the one thing they asked him to do for them was to teach them to pray. And they say, just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's interesting. They must, and you know this, that some of the apostles were disciples of John before they were disciples of Jesus. I don't want to go into that, but go to the first few chapters of John and you can find out about that. They were followers of John. And maybe John taught them a different way to pray. I don't know. But there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that made his disciples want to pray like him. Man, I would love for my epitaph to be on a gravestone. And Guys, it can't be now because I don't pray enough. But it would be great if it just said two words, he prayed or she prayed. I can't think of a higher accolade to be given a Christian because someone who prays communes with God, receives the Spirit of God. And folks, prayer is hard work. There are times when prayer, it seems like you're talking to the ceiling. But there's other times when the power of the Holy Spirit can break through and fill you in, in amazing ways. So his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus prayed. The disciples wanted to pray like Jesus. And apparently Jesus intentionally didn't teach them. He just showed them. What things are your kids and grandkids learning from you because they are just watching? Are they learning to complain? Are they learning to criticize? Or are they learning to pray? Oh, I wish in our churches today there would be a spirit of prayer. So, And this is what I try and do. With, if Robert calls and he's got something going on, I'll say, let's pray about it. Pray right now. This church family, is if, if someone, you come on a Sunday morning and they say, oh, I've got this going on in my life, you should say, well, let's pray about it. Right now, just stop. And there should be holy huddles of prayer going on, even at the church, at your home. Who sees you pray? The disciples saw Jesus, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gave them what I call a prayer sandwich. You know what a sandwich looks like? Y'all like sandwiches? What what you start with? You start with a slice of bread, then you put some meat or whatever, peanut butter, whatever you're going to put in the middle, and then you put what? Another slice of bread. Well, there's three layers that I'm going to unwrap today very quickly about what Jesus taught them about prayer. Now, here's what I want to do. I don't want you to focus on what I say. I want you to focus on what Jesus said. Okay? Because if you're a follower of Christ, he's talking to you. You can take these words and say, Jesus is teaching me how to pray in these next 11 verses, 12 verses. And so in verse 2 it says, He, Jesus, said to them, When you pray... Say, now I'm reading from the New International Version, which is what 
my father's Bible here is. He had different translations. But it's interesting to me that Jesus didn't do anything except tell them what to say. Now, what does say imply? To me, it implies out loud. Do you think the disciples heard Jesus praying out loud? Well, they must have at the Garden of Gethsemane because they recorded some of these words. But I think Jesus prayed out loud. Now, I, I realize you can pray silently. I pray silently. But I think there's pr power in praying out loud, in voicing the words, in saying them. Jesus said, when you pray, say, and you know these words. Now, this is not the full, quote, Lord's Prayer. But this is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. What did Jesus do in this prayer? You've all heard the Lord's Prayer? I hope. Even if non-church people have heard it. We don't say it in church enough, by the way. And I understand that it's, uh, it is a, a written prayer. And it, how much power is in just saying a written prayer? I think there's a lot of power in saying it if you mean it when you say it, all right? I, I, I go to different meetings, and sometimes those meetings involve other denominations, more liturgical denominations, the ones that have more you know, responsive readings and all kinds of things that we don't do as much. I want you to know I enjoy it. I was at a meeting of several, well, probably two or 3,000 people just a few weeks ago back on the East Coast, and from all different faith denominations, all Christians, but different denominations, from Catholic to Baptist to Pentecostal. And one of the things we did was recite the Lord's Prayer together. It's something that unifies believers. And it's something you need to make sure your children know. And one way to do that is to say it in church. You don't say it all the time. But there's nothing wrong with saying There's some. Did you know there's some denominations that every time they're together in a service, they say the Lord's Prayer together? I don't see anything wrong with that. In fact, it helps us know and learn how Jesus taught us to pray very quickly. And I'm not going to preach a long sermon on the Lord's Prayer. You know it. But what word did Jesus start the Lord's Prayer with? Father. Now this says Father. Sometimes other, other gospels and places says our Father, which art in heaven. Isn't it interesting that he used the term Father? Jesus most often referred to God as Father. Now that's not an Old Testament concept. That's a New Testament concept. And I think Jesus then taught his disciples to talk to God as Father, Abba, Daddy. This is a problem for some people. And I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Does it cause any of you concern or angst to refer to God as Father? Sometimes it does. And the reason is sometimes our earthly fathers have not given us a good experience. And every time we think of the word Father, we think of our earthly father, and maybe the guy was a scoundrel. I'm blessed with a great father. All I can say to you is if you had a, ba a bad experience with your father, remember what we're going to get to in a minute where it says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because God wants to be your heavenly father. You're his child. And Jesus wanted to impress that on his disciples and on us. 
We should approach God as a loving father, not as an abusive or uh, dysfunctional father, but as a loving father that cares for his children. Our Father, which art in heaven, then he says, hallowed be your name. It's interesting. He starts with Father, and then he moves immediately to praise, to adoration. I love the worship today because... Do you understand one of the reasons we come together as believers is to worship together? But you can worship on your own. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a time, even if it's in your car listening to Christian music, that you can just personally worship and appreciate God? Do you do that? You need to do that. I think you enter into God's presence with praise. That's how you do it. When you start praising and worshiping God, He shows up. His Spirit shows up. That's where you start, is with praise. But notice what He says next. Your kingdom come. Of course, the, the full prayer says, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Have you thought about that? Jesus was saying we should pray that the world would become more like heaven. How does the world become more like heaven? When we start living with the Word of God in our minds, the Spirit of God in our hearts, and the love of God in our hands. So it's essential that we have the Spirit of God in our hearts. Some of us have a, a lot of the Word of God in our heads, but we don't have much of the Spirit of God or the love of God, and it takes all three. And he said, your kingdom come on earth. He wants to use us to help his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is Jesus telling the disciples. Your home should have a little bit of heaven in it. Your church should have a little bit of heaven in it. Your business should have a little bit of heaven in it. Our country, if we follow his principles, should have a little bit of heaven in it. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then, and then he says, give us each our daily bread. Now there's a petition let me ask you this. When we pray, when you hear people pray in America, what normally what takes the most time in their prayers? Petitions. We're asking for stuff, right? You notice there's only one short line in here about asking for stuff, and what's it asking for? Lord, just give us enough to eat. <laughs> is that kind of like the that's not the prayers Americans make, is it? So you, you praise the Father. You submit to Him and say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come on earth. You ask for provision. It's fine to ask. He, we're going to talk more about that. Then He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. I can't park here. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. You just need to know that. You don't have a choice. And you say, well, I don't feel like forgiving. I, well, I don't care if you feel like it. Forget the feelings. Just say, Lord, help me to forgive whoever. And then say, Lord, keep saying it, Lord, I forgive my parents. Lord, I forgive this person that hurt me. You don't have a choice. Forgiveness is a big part of it. Asking for pardon. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation. And the full prayer says, but deliver us from evil. What's that all about? That's asking for protection. I've got four daughters. How many of you had children? How many of you have grandchildren? More smiles when I said grandchildren. Why is that? <laughs> They're precious. 
You know what I pray for my children and now for my grandchildren? Lord, lead them not into temptation and deliver them from evil. Have you ever thought of praying that? Why would he tell us to pray it if he didn't mean for us to pray it and mean it and God would answer it? I say, Lord, send your angels to watch out after my grandchildren. Protect them from this world. Protect their minds. Protect their hearts. Protect their bodies. And I pray that for my grandchildren as I fall asleep at night, usually. So God wanted us to pray for protection, but notice it doesn't say protect us from the, the guy with the gun up the street. It doesn't say protect us from... Um, the, the neighbor next door. What does it say? He says, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. What is that? That's all about Satan. It's all about his power. Now, let me tell you something. Satan is real. Okay, we have a physical world right here, but there's also a spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, there's good and there's evil, folks. And the good and the evil are impacting this world. Now, nobody can, you know, we, we got to the point where we just try to be so nice about everything, but there is good and there is evil in this world. And the, the problem's not the guy with a gun. The problem is Satan and his minions controlling the guy with the gun. Satan wants all that stuff happening. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We need to pray against that. As I was here this morning before the service, I was just praying, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to fill this place with your presence. Rebuke Satan, Lord, and his angels. Send your angels. Send the forces of light to do battle with the forces of darkness in this place today. Do you realize there's a spiritual battle going on right here? And it's going on in the lives and hearts of men and, and women and children? That's what we need to get our minds focused on. Yes, it comes out through people, but they're not the enemy. The Bible says they've been blinded by Satan and his minions. They're just blinded. They're walking around blind. Don't get angry at them. Pray against Satan and his the hosts of heaven. And so Jesus says, Father, Hallowed be your name, praise. Your kingdom come, submission. Give us each day our daily bread, provision. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others, pardon. And lead us not into temptation, protection. Your prayers should be filled with that. I would encourage you, if you don't know how to pray, just use this prayer, but do it like this, Father, which art in heaven. Lord, just thank you for being my Father. Thank you that I'm your child. Thank you for choosing me. Hallowed be your name. Father, I praise you for this incredible world. Take each line, say it, and then amplify on it in your own words. Does that make sense? Pray it back to him. There's power in that. As you do it, I believe with all my heart, God will send his Holy Spirit into your heart, into your spirit, into your mind, and begin to work in your life. So the bread, the first slice of bread on this prayer sandwich is the Lord's Prayer. That's a pretty good slice, isn't it? Now look at the next few verses. This is the parable of the friend at midnight. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, what in the world is Jesus trying to tell us in this parable? Now, a parable is an earthly story 
with a heavenly meaning. So we've heard the earthly story. How many of you have ever had to go next door to a neighbor's house at midnight and ask for some food because you had guests show up unexpectedly? I've never had to do that. Now, Debbie and I had a neighbor that was a dear friend that we had to go borrow flour or cooking oil from time to time. We'd share things. You don't know how you do that, but this, not at midnight. So I want you to put yourself in the person's place. This must be a real emergency. They didn't have food stores open all night. It was a different world. He's got a friend that's come in on a long journey, got, showed up late at night, and the guy's really hungry, and he's got nothing to give him. Do you think he wants to go bother his neighbor? How would you like to go knock on your neighbor's door at midnight? That's the last thing you want to do. But he had no other choice. There's no stores. There's no place else to go. His friend is hungry, and so he says, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. He goes and knocks on the door. I don't think the guy answered on the first knock. That's just me. It's midnight. And what does he say? He says, hey, man, I'm, I'm asleep. My children are asleep. We're tucked into bed. Get away from here. I can't get up and give you anything. And the guy says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of the man's persistence, he will get up and give him his bread, right? The guy's just not going home till he gets the bread. So the guy gives it to him. So what's Jesus trying to teach us? Well, persistence is part of it. But I think there's something more important. What other choice did the man have? It was the only place he knew of he could get some bread. I don't know how he knew his neighbor had some, but he did. But he knew that that guy had it, and he wasn't leaving till he got it. Are you that dependent upon God? Do you understand that God has the things we need, the spiritual things we need, and nobody else does? He's trying not just to teach us persistence. He's trying to teach us dependence. Do you depend on God in prayer? The story is told of a father and a son that were riding their bikes. Now, this I was on vacation up in Lake Tahoe, so feel real sorry for me. My grandson and I, he's 11, went early with our mountain bikes, and we're on a, we're on a trail riding. This didn't happen to me, but the story is told of a father and a son that are riding on a, on a mountain uh, trail on their bikes, and there's a big branch across the trail. And the father said, this would be a good time to teach my son a lesson. A lesson with a heavenly meaning. And he says, son, I want you to get out and move that branch. I want you to do everything you can to move that branch. Well, that boy, I don't know how old he was, got out and he tried to lift it. He couldn't move it. He got a stick and tried to push it. He couldn't push it. And he tried and he said, I can't. He said, son, I told you, I want you to use everything you can to get that thing moved and get it done now. Well, the boy kept trying and kept trying and finally started crying and said, dad, I can't. And the dad said, have you tried, used everything you've got to get it done? And the son said, yes. And he said, no, you haven't. He said, you haven't asked for my help. And that's like us. We try to take care of everything ourselves, and we don't even think of asking for God's help. Or if we do, it's, well, nothing else is going to work. Let's try prayer. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first resort just like the little boy. We don't have the power to change a, a friend's life. We don't have the power to change our country, to change our family, to protect our children everywhere they are. But God does. And he wants us 
to be persistent, but also to be dependent on Him. He wants us to pray. And so the ne- in the very next verse, Jesus says these very famous words. After He tells that story, He says this. Verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, the Greek words here don't just mean ask, seek, and knock. It's a, it's, it, the tense of the verb is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's a persistence in the very word he uses. Notice that ask, seek, and knock spell what? If you take the first letters, ask. Ask. Asking is verbal. And we need to verbalize to God our needs. God. I need you to work in the life of my son, my daughter, my grandchildren. Lord, protect them. Lead them not into temptation. The next is seek. Seeking takes what? If you're actually seeking out something, what part of your body do you use? You're using usually your feet. Maybe your finger if you're on the phone. And knocking, what does that take? God wants us to use our mouth, but to use our feet, to use our hands, and be persistent. In, in approaching him and in trying to get answers to our prayer. I love, I was in a shop over on the coast and I wish I'd have bought this poster that was on the wall because it said this, pray as if it all depends upon God, act as if it all depends upon you. And the name under it was Mother Teresa, that good Baptist lady. I really like her. What a great lady. Pray as if it all depends upon God. Act as if it all depends upon you. So here's here's what, what that means. Yes, you ask. But as God's Holy Spirit then works in your heart, He'll show you where to seek and where to knock. You see, because when you go to God in prayer, the most important thing we're going to learn in the last part of this sandwich is the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock. Say that with me. Ask, seek, knock. And Jesus said to his followers, if you'll do that, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. Now let me say in that regard, and I can't cover everything about prayer. You realize there's three answers to prayer. God answers a prayer, yes. He answers a prayer, no. And he answers the prayer, wait. Sometimes no is the best answer we could have. I love that country song. Have you heard it? Uh, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Uh, Talking about a guy who dated a girl in high school and wanted to marry her, but she said no. He said, Lord, let me marry her. He didn't marry her, and then he meets her again at his high school reunion 40 years later, and she's not what he remembered, you know. And, he, and, and so sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, sometimes God doesn't answer, says no, because it's, it's really the best for us. And he, he may need to be making some changes in us. Do you realize the biggest change that happens through prayer is not out there, it's in here. No, yes, or wait. God wants to teach us that in his time, he'll take care of us. So the Lord's Prayer, then the parable of the friend at midnight, 
ask, seek, and knock. And then the final slice of bread on the prayer sandwich, verse 11. And these verses, I want you to know, have become my most consistent prayer now that I'm in my late 60s in life are these verses. Let's look at them. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, I love to give gifts to my children. In, in our household at Christmas time, my wife's not the one that overspends, it's me. I'm sorry, I got four daughters, and I love to give them what they want for Christmas. Do you like to do that? Are my grandkids? And I'll, I, I break the bank sometimes trying to give good gifts to my kids. I just do. My wife will do this. Jesus said if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, he's not going to give them, do you see what he said? If, if your son asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. Although I've seen fathers play a joke, you know, and uh, have something like a snake in a box and open it. I'm not, that's not a good idea, by the way. But if they ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. Or if they ask for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. Because an earthly father is not a good earthly father, a loving earthly father is not going to give something that hurts the child to the child. If that child wants something that is not good for them, the father's going to say no. They want a car at, at 15 or they want a gun or whatever it is. The father, a good earthly father is going to say no because you're not going to want to hurt your child. And he says if an earthly father, a good earthly father, knows how to give good gifts to his children, won't the heavenly father give what to, to those who ask? The Holy Spirit. Guys. You know how profound that is? Jesus is saying the best thing you can ask for from God is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can get the Word of God in your head. You can try to do the works of God with your hands. But if you don't have the Spirit of God in your heart, you're doing it on your own power. You're like that little boy trying to move that branch. Jesus knew that, and that's why he prayed. He prayed in the morning. He prayed all night before he chose his disciples. He prayed that different times, and his disciples saw him do it, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And what we, the few verses we just looked at is how Jesus taught them to pray. You know as much about how to pray as the disciples of Jesus. You've got it right here. The question is not knowing it. It's doing it. James said it this way, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his natural face in glass. For he beholds himself and straightway goeth his way and forgetteth what manner of man he was. What does that mean? James was saying the Bible for us as Christians is a spiritual mirror. When we come here on Sunday morning, we're supposed to be looking for what it is God wants us to do. We're supposed to be learning, but we're supposed to be filling our heart with his spirit. But folks, we're supposed to especially be learning from Jesus what we should do. And the disciples said, teach us to pray. So if you look into this spiritual mirror and you see egg on your face, you see your hair sticking up, 
You see your lipstick on crooked spiritually. What are you supposed to do? Fix it. I don't know if we got any teenage boys in here. How many of you looked in a mirror today? I'm just asking. Did you look in a mirror today? Let me ask it this way. Who hasn't looked in a mirror yet today? I'm just asking. I'm serious. Usually it's a teenage boy when I ask that question. We just looked into the mirror of God's Word, the spiritual mirror. Now here's my question. What did that mirror show you about yourself? I don't think any of us are going to, you know, John the Apostle, do you know what his nickname was? He, he was the apostle that lived the longest. The others were martyred. He died in exile probably. Nobby Knees. You know why they called him Nobby Knees? Because he was on his knees in prayer so much that his knees were swollen and calluses on his knees. Whoa. Years ago, my daughter Melissa, she's my oldest daughter, married to a pastor now. She was with a friend staying at my dad's house, my mom and dad's house in Sacramento. She and her friend had gone up to Sacramento for a concert or something. And so her friend was staying on the couch out in an open family area, and Melissa was sleeping in a room, bed in another room. And so, you know what my daughter said to her friend? She said, Renee, in the morning when you wake up, don't be startled if you see my grandfather in that chair right through there because he's in it every morning for at least an hour praying. Wow. Are you caught praying? Have you ever said a minute, God, teach me to pray? Have you ever set time aside? Have you ever turned this off? Have you ever clicked off the TV Billy Graham, I think, you know, I think Billy Graham's greatness was not in his preaching. Billy Graham's greatness was not in his own abilities. It was in the fact that he believed in prayer. He was a man prayer. Here's some things he said about prayer. The only time my prayers are never answered is on the golf course. I like that one because I like to golf. When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. You cannot pray for someone and hate them at the same time. Satan will contest every hour you spend in Bible study or prayer. Every day you have 1,440 minutes. Can't you find even 10 of them to be with your heavenly Father. I want to ask you to stand. I know we need to go. But I want us, do we have a closing song? No? Do we do? Okay, well, come on up. Singer's coming up. And let's stand. Can I do this? I want to pray for you. Can I do that? And I do this more and more. I claim this promise. And it's the last promise. The second slice of bread on the prayer sandwich. If an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, won't the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I'm going to ask for that for you. Because I want you to know in and of our own will, our flesh will keep us on this and keep us with that. Our flesh will keep us doing this 
It'll keep us doing anything and everything but praying. I'm going to pray that if you're a believer and follower of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to work in your heart and give you the will to pray. Five minutes a day. Start small. And don't go to sleep until you've done that five minutes. And from there you can say, well, now I'll try ten. That's how I've managed to do it. I just don't go to sleep at night until I've spent some time in the Word and prayer. I just don't do it. I don't care if it's one in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. If I haven't done it, I do it. Because I'm not disciplined enough to do it on my own. I want to pray that for you. Now, somebody may be here and doesn't know Christ. All I can pray for you is that the Holy Spirit would draw you to know Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, I want to follow His example. And I want to be an example so I can say to others, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I pray that for everyone here. But my specific prayer today is this, Father. If an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, won't the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I am asking that you would send the Holy Spirit into this place, into these people, into Robert, into this fellowship. And, Father, that you would compel them to be a people of prayer, that they would seek you, Father, with all their hearts. They would set aside time to talk to you, not only alone, but they would get together to talk to you at different times together. And that, Father, your Holy Spirit would empower everything in this church, the families, the businesses, every part of what they're doing because they're seeking you in prayer. Lord, this is my prayer in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.